I am yet to hear from a business that has adopted e-invoicing that hasn't said it was a fantastic thing to do. Hello and welcome to NPP Soundbites. I'm Lisa Lintern. In a recent speech to the Committee for Economic Development of Australia, Minister for Superannuation, Financial Services and the Digital Economy, Jane Hume, said the prize for an economy that leans into the digital transformation is enormous and she called out the NPP as an important enabler. In this episode of NPP Soundbites, we invited Minister Hume to expand on how she saw the NPP enabling a digital economy, particularly in the areas of e-invoicing, government payments, superannuation and CDR. Well, Minister, thank you so much for joining me today. Great to be with you, Lisa. In a recent speech to the Committee for Economic Development in Australia, you said the prize for an economy that leans into the digital transformation is enormous. You mentioned the MPP alongside other important enablers. How would you describe the role that the MPP plays in bringing to life a digital economy? That's a great question. And in some ways, the answer to that is really simple because it plays an enormous role. So I'm hoping that your listeners have already recognised that the Morrison government is very ambitious about Australia's digital future. Our goal is for Australia to be a a top 10 uh, world leading digital economy and society by 2030. And there's no way we can reach that goal by accident. So initiatives like the new payments platform play an enormous important role in realising this future. In just a few short years, we've seen the NPP very successfully enable near real-time, 24-7, data-rich payments, which is something that consumers and businesses have very enthusiastically embraced. And importantly, this is an innovation that the uh, that it's a product of the Reserve Bank and the payments industry's collective efforts to provide that faster, more secure way to make payments into bank accounts, to and from bank accounts. And that partnership between the public and the private sector to deliver transformational change for Australians is really what the digital economy strategy is all about because there's no way that government can have that ambitious strategy and do it on its own. And I think that with the NPP, the success, of course, can be seen in the uptake. So at the beginning of this year, in 2022, the NPP was averaging somewhere around 2.7 million payments per day and over 10 million pay IDs had been registered on the network, which I think is incredible. And I'm very proud that the government is making the most of the NPP as well and the best example of that has been um, Services Australia. And I, I know you had them on your podcast recently to talk about their NPP experience. So Services Australia is a really terrific example, I think, of how the government's using the platform to make emergency welfare and disaster relief payments uh, to Australians in need. We did it during the 2019-20 bushfires. The NPP helped provide around $233 million in Australian government disaster recovery payments. And success stories like this show that it's about much more than speed, though that's obviously a fantastic outcome in itself. It's most importantly about peace of mind, reliable and improved services for all Australians. Well, let's tap into small businesses first and e-invoicing. 
What do you see the problems that invoicing will solve, both for the economy and for businesses? E-invoicing has a really important role to play in bringing around some of those smaller businesses in particular into the digital economy. Obviously, it helps them reduce costs, it improves their productivity, and it maximises their time and frees them up to do what it is that they do best, which is running their business. I am yet to hear from a business that has adopted e-invoicing that hasn't said it was a fantastic thing to do. It's it's estimated that there's around 1.2 billion invoices raised in Australia each year and about 90% of those are still labour-based and manual processes, which is a staggering figure. It's also estimated that should each one of those 1.2 billion invoices be replaced by e-invoicing, it would save around $20 per transaction. So not only would it help businesses save time on the manual processes, but um, it will save them money. And it is a very important role in supporting business cybersecurity practices as well because it helps reduce the incidences of fraud. And fraud is a big issue for small businesses. Uh, I think that there was a, a survey by, I'm pretty sure it was Zero back um, last year that showed about one in five Australian small businesses have, it, have already experienced invoicing fraud and falsely paid out on average per business around $15,000 as a result of invoicing fraud. But there's one more key element that I think is misunderstood, and that's how it can dramatically improve payment times. This is really important uh, to business cash flows. And so invoicing can have an enormous impact on how businesses, um, particularly those businesses, small businesses, those ones that might usually be slow on the take up of technology. The best example that I can think of is small building and construction firms or subcontractors. You know, I was listening to the radio on the day that ProBuild, for instance, went into administration and they were saying that payment times was one of the big problems in the construction industry. Well, you know, e-invoicing can better help uh, a business get paid on time and allow it to manage its cash flow so it can pay its employees or pay its taxes or pay its creditors on time too. So the government is um, strongly supporting uh, greater e-invoicing adoption by businesses uh, and we are definitely leading by example. We're supporting the uptake across all levels of government uh, that regularly trade with business and, in fact, we've mandated that Commonwealth agencies must be able to receive invoices by the 1st of July this year, 2022. Um, and, and, of course, driving invoicing more broadly across the economy is a big part of our digital economy strategy. And in last year's budget, we invested around $15 million for initiatives that improve business awareness of e-invoicing and will result in that increased adoption. So that includes things like working with the payment providers like the NPP to help integrate e-invoicing into the main payment methods that are used by business. But it also includes things like educational activities, um, and supply chain pilots with those large businesses that have long supply chains uh, to help drive greater adoption across uh, in, across all parts of the economy. So obviously introducing e-invoicing does require significant change effort, for, particularly for those smaller businesses. How can the payment sector, so the, the listeners to this podcast, how can they support small businesses to make this shift? That integration of e-invoicing solutions with payment processes is going to be really important in supporting those smaller businesses to make the shift. 
you know, the integration clearly has the potential to improve business cash flow and faster payments and reconciliation of invoices, but it's the payment sector that's really key to supporting business adoption of e-invoicing and helping them to, to realise the benefits sooner. So I'd love to see the sector continue to support e-invoicing um, by doing things like engaging with software providers who deliver the e-invoicing solutions and engage also with their small business clients to, to raise awareness of the solutions that are out there and available already. Um, you know, there's ongoing engagement with the software providers I think is probably going to be the key. It's important that we can ensure that the software solutions that have being used and adopted by businesses, such as for procurement or for inventory management and, and particularly, you know, accounting software, that they can all talk to each other and that they can readily exchange information that will facilitate invoice payment and reconciliation. And that engagement will also help businesses understand that, that you know, the, the benefits of using those integrated invoicing and payment solutions and help them to guide them to make the necessary system and process changes. You mentioned earlier um, that when it comes to payments, government is a really is a, is a key stakeholder, making or receiving large volumes of payments. What more can the government do to drive us towards a more efficient um, digital economy that supports digital payments? Well, I'm pretty certain that your listeners are already experts in this field, so they probably know that uh, in December last year, the, the Morrison government unveiled some of the most significant reforms to payments in more than you know quarter of a century uh, through our response to the review of the Australian payments system. Uh, and th- that review found that the case for change is really compelling because nowhere is digital disruption playing out faster than in the payments mm-hmm. sector. So the reforms that we announced will support continued competition and innovation, but we also want to make sure that we ensure safety and stability of the payment system too. And they'll also ensure that Australia can capitalise on the amazing opportunities that are being created by new payment and also crypto technologies as well. So part of that ref- as part of that reform package, we've uh, agreed to, um, to the recommendation that government leverage its position as a large customer of the payments ecosystem to support payment policy, payments policy objectives. I mentioned before Services Australia and, and the way that the NPP helped to provide those instant financial relief payments to Australians that were caught up in what was no doubt some of the worst days of their lives. Well, now we're going to look to leverage the success of agencies like Services Australia and work in collaboration with, with industry with regulators uh, and also with consumer and business representatives to consider how individual government departments can better engage with the payment system to deliver uh, more seamless services and payments to more Australians. So that'll include exploring how new agencies, for instance, can transition to the new payments platform, including the use of PayID, which can, of course, reduce instances of scams and and fraudulent payments and mistaken payments as well. So there's a substantial and very complex uh, body of work that's in front of us, but we are confident payments reforms that we've announced will place Australia among the leading countries in the world. 
So the evolution of superannuation is subject to a lot of focus and discussion for a number of reasons. What role do you see the MPP playing in modernising our approach to superannuation? Well, I'm hoping that your listeners also know that uh, superannuation is an enormous passion of mine and um, I've been talking about superannuation pretty non-stop for the last three years. I could talk the leg off chair on superannuation. It was where I worked before I... Um, came into Parliament too. So it's something I feel very passionately about. And, and, and this is an industry that has evolved considerably over the past decade. And improvement, improvements in the payment system has been part of that. It's really supported significant efficiencies in the superannuation sector. So coming back to the point on partnership that I made a little earlier, it's been fantastic to see that both the government and the super industry have invested very significantly in um, the Superstream payment system. There's around, um, they invested around $1.5 billion in six years between 2012 and 2018, um, which is an enormous investment for um, for an industry like superannuation. So, but that combined investment has delivered really substantial benefits to superannuation funds, to employers, but most importantly, to members because it improves the efficiencies of the transactions for employers and for super funds and it makes it much easier and faster for members to roll over and also to consolidate their accounts. And, of course, the moment you have your funds in the one place, consolidated, rolled over, that's when you can start getting the benefits from compounding returns and also if you can merge your funds quickly, you know, lower fees too. So there's certainly scope, I think, for the NPP to build on the improvements that have been made in Superstream. There is more that can be done. Uh, For instance, you know, introducing real-time payments that could enable members to get the benefits of their contributions paid to their accounts sooner or um, receive drawdowns from their super accounts sooner if they're in retirement. Uh, The NPP could certainly make transactions easier and more efficient, which will... I think, greatly improve the user experience for employers and employees too. And there's also an opportunity for the MPP to enhance the data capability of the system, something that um, also links very strongly with another passion of mine, which is the consumer data right. Um, and, and I think that there's, just on that issue of the, of the consumer data right, there's an opportunity for the CDR once it's rolled out to superannuation uh, which will be as part of the open finance announcements to deliver uh, an entirely different service to members in the retirement phase. Uh, you know, we've just recently in Super introduced a new retirement income covenant, which is uh, essentially it's um, it's a covenant within the CIS Act, the Enabling Superannuation Legislation, which requires super funds to have a strategy for how they will assist their members not just in the accumulation phase of superannuation, but in the retirement phase. So rolling out the CDR to super could provide an amazing opportunity for funds to leverage uh, in a safe and secure way the information that they have about their members to provide much more targeted, much more efficient um, retirement strategies, which will ultimately lead to better retirement outcomes for members, their money lasting longer um, and being able to draw down an income that suits your desires, your lifestyles, um, and, uh, you know, addressing things like, you know, longevity and flexibility as well. 
So you touched on CDR um, and the government released its response to the FAL report just prior to Christmas with payment initiation identified as a key priority for a future evolution of the CDR regime. Why is payment initiation so important and what benefits do you see bringing to consumers and businesses? What are the planned next steps around this work? So action initiation, of which you know payment initiation is one, will I think will be the ultimate game changer for the consumer data right. And that uh, inquiry into the future directions for the CDR uh, it made 100 separate recommendations to expand the functionality of the CDR and taking it well beyond any comparable data portability, data portability framework that exists anywhere in the world. Um, we've uh, agreed to take steps to implement 94 of those 100 recommendations and each one will enhance the utility or increase the security of the consumer data right in action. So particularly noteworthy are the reforms that will expand the CBR beyond just a consumer access regime to a regime that enables consumers to instruct trusted and accredited third parties to take actions on their behalf. So it'll become an active rather than a passive scheme. Uh, you know, it, once we build that action and payment initiation into the CDR, it will unlock new business models and new use cases that we potentially haven't even thought of yet. And it will also drive consumer benefits. And you know, my great hope is that we will also build and encourage and foster digital innovation to flourish in Australia. Um, I think this is going to be the biggest driver for turning data sets that are already out there into genuinely realised time and money savings for consumers. Because, you know, it's, it's one thing to use your data to find a better product or a better service, but it's another thing entirely to take all the steps to, you know, sign up to a new provider. So being able to take these steps potentially at the push of a button which is what action on payment initiation will do, will revolutionise how Australians and Australian businesses receive a whole range of services based um, on their data. So these are they're very big changes and, if, you know, these things don't happen overnight. They're going to take a little bit of time. Uh, but I'm very much looking forward to continuing to work very closely with industry, with consumer groups, with other government agencies, to prioritise and also to implement those recommendations of the feral inquiry. And that will include um, informing the necessary, uh, the development of the necessary legislation. At every step of the way with the consumer data, right, it is a collaborative effort. At no point does government go it alone. And I think that's a really important thing for your listeners to understand. We want their feedback. We want their collaboration because... Um, you know, this benefits all of us. Well, on that note, Minister, I'd like to thank you very much for your time today. That's a pleasure, Lisa. It's been great to speak with you.